This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of Sports Analytics Live every Wednesday morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Cade Massey hosting this morning with Shane Jensen and Eric Bradlow, our fourth collaborator. Audie Weiner just walked out the door getting ready for class this morning. We will be here for the next hour and a half where some combination of us are here anyway. Every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 Eastern, you can join the conversation, 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or you can drop us an email, Matty Datz, producer, boss man, waiting for your email, businessradio at SiriusXM.com, businessradio at SiriusXM.com, or add us on Twitter. We're at WMoneyBall, at WMoneyBall is our handle. You can send us questions, comments, observations. You can send us over-under suggestions for the segment of our show. We're still going to keep the over-under segment as we go through the football I'm gonna season. I'm going to tweet my 0-7 rookie coach analysis. I'll put that up on at WMoneyBall. Right. Eric's got, some, Eric's got some, some recent number crunching for the week one NFL outcomes. We have spent most of our time so far talking about NFL, but in this next half hour, we have a guest coming in, a return guest for the show, Phil Wagner. Phil is the CEO and founder of Sparta Science. This is a Silicon Valley company that is um, has this force plate technology that they've successfully launched and are now working with universities and teams around the country and maybe the world. We'll find out. Phil, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, glad to have you. Delighted to have you. Phil, where are you calling in from this morning? I am out in uh, New York City uh, for the week. Oh, that's, that, um, that, it's an easier call um, at 8.30 <laughs> Eastern if you're on the East Coast than the West Coast. I was worried that you were calling in from Silicon Valley. What brings you to New York this week? Yeah, so a lot of the work we do uh, in sports, um, most of the leagues professionally are based out here, so I'm, I'm meeting with uh, – the leagues around some of the data we've collected and the trends and and i think every league um shares the same desire and that's um to really kind of promote uh safety amongst their athletes um particularly as, as people become more aware of these injuries uh that are occurring particularly i think a lot of the leagues that we're meeting with um, concern is around the loss of, of grassroots participation in sports at the youth level so this is interesting to me because I, I, I knew that the leagues have this interest generally, but I wouldn't have known that they would be working with technology companies um, to, to further it. I think of that as being a team-based thing as opposed to a league-based thing. So if the tell us, give us an example of something a league might do if they were if they were wanted to be a big advocate of your technology. Yeah, so the NFL, for example, um, we will use uh, in the last few NFL combines um, as an assessment for. Um, both, you know, injury prevention as well as a risk standpoint because um, a lot of times athletes are exceptional at, at compensating uh, for certain injuries and, and, and weaknesses. So how can we get a more objective look into uh, what their risks are and, and subsequently how we can uh, lower that risk? And, and the NFL is a, a, a nice place to start because the common is such more of a, a discreet, activity for talent identification now compared to the other age. So, Phil, we want to hear more about how teams are using this and, and, and more about what you think the potential is, but help us understand what it is. We've had you on before. We've talked with yeah. people who use your technology, so we understand, but can you remind our listeners, what is the technology that, that you've developed? 
Yeah, so a lot of um, most of the injuries that occur in, in athletes or, or any of us, um, at least here on Earth, where gravity um, you know rules all, is, is some sort of interaction with the ground. You know, and, and how we interact with the ground is really producing what's called ground reaction force. So if you push down, that's what causes you to go up. And so we use a force plate to measure how that ground reaction force is occurring in an individual, how quickly it happens, how long. And so that type of pattern, um, what we call a signature, uh, that signature we've been able to classify by gathering a lot of data. Okay, these individuals that are successful at this activity look like that, but we've got to be careful because hamstrings look like this. So really starting to build this database um, from both the performance as well as the health standpoint um, for each individual athlete. So a, a naive question I kind of have about uh, this force place technology is I kind of think, I mean, I'm going to kind of believe that, you know, across all the population of people, there's a lot of variation in how much mm. force you can exert and, and uh, on, on these plates. Among top athletes, I guess it kind of surprises me that there's still that tremendous amount of variation, or, or at least that there's variation that you wouldn't be able to just sort of predict based on height and weight and kind of some of these more rudimentary measures. So can you talk a little bit about how much athletes vary in this? Yeah, and it, it's a good question because it's really, you know, different by sport. Uh, you can look at, you know, the sport of soccer or baseball where there's quite a bit more variation um, just to the naked eye. When we talk about soccer, we're talking about Messi and Ronaldo, you know, who couldn't have more different body types. Um, in, in baseball, you've got skinny, fat, short, tall, um, just being more of a skill sport. It really depends how much – uh, this, the skill plays a role in the sport itself. We get towards track and field, for example, um, where it's much more physical than, than skill-based. We start to see a lot less variation amongst the athletes. So, Phil, this is Eric Bradley. I wanted to follow up with that. Um, is this one of those things? I've, it's a two-part question, but it's really one question. Um, is this one of those things where more is necessarily better? And number two, um, is it linear, meaning if there's a 10% increase, let's say, in someone's plate force that they can give, I assume for many things you have, there's diminishing marginal returns. So both, let me ask both those questions. Is more necessarily better? And are there, do you tend to see diminishing marginal returns as you're trying to predict various outcomes? Uh, that's a great question. Eric. Yeah. Um, more force is definitely not better. Um, you know, one of the strongest predictors of Hansen risk is an increased amount of force. Yep. And, you know, if you drive your car faster, um, you know, bad things can happen. Um, you know, Justin Verlander, um, w one of the great pitchers, he said, you know, I, I figured out how to stop blowing out my elbow when I realized I didn't need to throw 98 every pitch. That 94, 95 was just fine. And so, you know, these forces can definitely be too much. You know, there was a great you know, article about how the Sacramento Kings haven't had an ACL risk in 18 years and a lot of promotion around that kind of health. But we also got to think about how many playoff appearances the Sacramento Kings have had <laughs> in the last 18 years, right? right? So we have to, we have to, you know, it's, it, but this is the real opportunity for technology because how, how close can we fly to the sun without getting burned? 
you know, what are the margins of performance and injury and how do we avoid not crossing those? And the second part of that question kind of relates to that is, unfortunately, it's not a linear uh, risk response. It's exponential. Ah. And so as that force gets further away from the middle of the bell curve, that injury risk really starts to elevate at a much greater slope. Interesting. This is Wharton Moneyball. You're going to be here for the next hour and a half or so, as we are every Wednesday morning. Cade Massey hosting this morning with my buddies Eric and Shane. Phil, we're talking to Phil Wagner, CEO and founder of Sparta Science. Phil, you've got a few variables that you measure. So it's it, it, and to the layperson, it would be surprising that just observing a person jump on a plate, jump from a plate, you'd be able to extract multiple measures. Now, one of these is just the height that they jump. So I, I, we get that. But you're getting three distinct measures from the way that they jump off of this force plate. You're getting explode, drive, and load. Can you tell us what those three things are and, and how and what predictive, different predictive value they provide? Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, the assessment takes about 60 seconds. And the way we can glean all that information is really highlights the growth of how we're using data. A fourth plate's been around for decades. But when we talk about injury prediction or performance, you know, the, the software really takes into account, you know, force profiles, but also ethnicity, age, injury history. And it's that kind of um, larger picture that allows um, those conclusions to be made around the data. And so, you know, the three variables that we found to be the most telling are how that force production is initiated, what we call your eccentric rate of force. So that's like a loading part of any movement. Um, when that's, we see that highest in, in individuals, basically that squat for a living. So you think about a catcher or a lineman. Whereas the second variable we look at is how quickly you can change direction in that jump. And, and that's really... You see it high in your quicker athletes, basketball, and soccer. And then your last variable, we call drive because that's how long you prolong your force production. And we see that high in rotational athletes. You know, basically, it's one of the reasons why pitchers have such problems with comebackers. These rotational athletes, a lot of times, don't have to react. They mm. control the timing. Mm. And so what, how long they prolong that force production is a key piece. What are other who, – who are other rotational athletes? Are golfers rotational athletes? Golfers. It's really any athlete that relies on timing. You know, in football, for example, besides quarterbacks, long snappers, very rotational. And the idea that they have to – they're less reactive and really trying to prolong and, and allow that movement to be much more smooth. So, Phil, uh, this is Eric Bradlow again. Are there um, – do you see a day where the technology – like right now you have a physical technology, I assume. It's a physical plate, right? Someone jumps on something, does something. Do you see a, a, an era where someone's just got sensors over him or her and all of this just gets measured continuously in real time using some sort of technology? Or do you, do you think the you know jumping on the plate will be – or something like that will be the long-term technology? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's certainly um, heading that way. I think the big challenge we have right now with sensors is reliability. Um, we're still in that kind of place, I think, as a field in sports science of um, confusing data with good data, and they're not the same thing. And so as we're collecting 
data from sensors, what a lot of teams are finding is that it's relatively unreliable. And so, you know, how can we better filter the information coming in, particularly if it's it's live like you're talking about, um, you know, because that more data is really can be a distraction for a lot of the teams, a lot of the athletes um, in terms of what, what to do next. Um, I think certainly the goal of technology, and, and particularly when we're talking about hardware, is to reduce, you know, the footprint of it. And so, yeah, I believe that force plates will continue to evolve into uh, more sensor-based and eventually potentially video-based. I feel that the Mara's work in various places. I was having conversations with some doctors at the Mayo Clinic recently, and they're talking about moving away from, this is longer-term thinking, but they're trying to come up with ways of moving away from all the, um, you know, the, in, the physical interventions that keep track of what's going on in the bodies to something outside, like imaging. How much can you pick up? And it's shocking the amount of physiological measures that they can pick up from imaging. So what you're talking about and what Eric is asking about is something that we know is going on in the medical world. Can you tell us, can you give us some sense of, of the scope of your, uh, your client work? So we know that you're, you're in here with the University of Pennsylvania. We've talked to some of the guys down there, some of the coaches and some of the PT folks. How, how broad is your client base at this, at this and geographically, but also across sports and across levels of sport? Right. Yeah, so we've uh, been fortunate to be um, working all over the world at this point um, with English soccer, Australia rugby, um, South Africa, and and, and India cricket uh, most recently, which has been a very interesting one. Another rotational, uh, you know, type of force profile that we were talking about, and and then from a college setting and a high school setting, from the small, more academic institutions like University of Pennsylvania to you know, the universities that have their own TV station, you know, like University of Texas, you know, so pretty, pretty wide range of, um, you know, levels of play with these universities. And it's, and it's nice because they culturally each, you know, have a very different uh, approach to what they're doing, whether that's looking to try to save money uh, through student athlete health or looking to try to um, generate more revenue through so walk us through how one of these institutions uses your work. So t- take, not so randomly, the University of Texas. How does a school like that make use of your technology? What do they want out of your technology? Who are they putting through that? Yeah, so some of the larger schools will really use it for recruiting um, because, you know, coming on campus for these visits, at the end of the day, the assessments we use are a medical test. And so students coming on campus may have unknown or undisclosed injuries so it's an opportunity to evaluate what the student athlete's health is like and what they can do to reduce some of their risks. So can and you can, other, can we dig into that one real quick? So so say you have a prospect come onto campus and yeah. you you want to assess him in some way, and so you have him use your technology. You can make these assessments pretty quickly, and then presumably you're going to drop that into some kind of norm, so you get some sense of how that athlete compares to other athletes you've seen like him is that is that right so and then and then certain bells and whistles are going to go off if they come out unusual one way or the other yeah yeah minus the bells and whistles but yes uh you don't want everybody in the room to know um (laughs) you know that the individual that just did the test is is, you know going to break down but yes the norms are a key piece to that um rather than having to wait and gather you know one individual's longitudinal you know pattern you know really leveraging um, the data sets of similar positions, uh, genders, ages, 
and that's what helps create some of the identification uh, on that first visit at least. So, Phil, this is Eric Brado again. Just to be clear, you would also consider yourself, given Cade's question, a data company. It's not just about having the measuring device, but you've built up a data bank where you can, as you just said, norm people by sport, by position, etc. And that's a key part of your value, which is why if, you know, I'm making it up, if the Bradlow company wanted to create force place technology, maybe I could do it. Um, but I don't have this long database, which is a big part of your business intelligence value. Yeah, and we, we you're absolutely right. We are 100% a data company. Um, I think a lot of people cling to hardware because it's concrete, right, and they can picture it and understand it a little bit better. Um, but we refer to it as a dumb device, you know, because it's just a, a piece of hardware that's creating information. Um, but it's really how that information is filtered, processed, and classified in a way that makes it good data and, more importantly, insightful data of how it can support or change uh, the decisions made by an organization. We're talking to Phil Wagner. Phil is the CEO and founder of Sparta Science. This is a Silicon Valley company that uses force plate technology to assess athletes. They've got clients we've known for a long time. They have clients here, for example, the University of Pennsylvania, but they work with professional teams and leagues and schools around the country. Phil, you're, you're, you can use this technology to both understand potential but also injury or and so for example you have this prospect that we were just talking about come through and use the force plate how do you know whether he's just weak or doesn't have great potential or is actually injured or has historically had something wrong with him how do you assess the difference between those things yeah the, the great question the reality is we don't care um you know because whether they're coming off an injury or about to have one potentially due to weakness you know the treatment is the same and I think one of the challenges in sports science is, you know, compared to something like really hardcore academia is we're less, we're less concerned, at least initially, with the understanding of why and more importantly focused on, okay, what do we do? You know, and there's a very thin line between being injured and, you know, being healthy. And you could be one step or one day away from having that next injury and so whether somebody's weak or currently injured, if they have the same profile, the treatment is the same. So we're um, so, so, really trying to address the weakness. Yeah, so Phil, this is Eric again. This is like, yeah. first of all, thank you. This is like a softball because this is you've led me into the question I was going to ask anyway, which is one way to think about your force plate measure is it's an X in a regression model or a, or an injury model. But I wanted to follow up to your question, which is let's imagine someone has a low X. What can the person do? What's the treatment to increase yeah. their X? So you must be Eric, in that Eric, business have, as well. You have to elaborate what you mean by X. Well, what I mean is imagine a regression <laughs> model where the Y is some outcome you're interested in, that someone's like propensity, injury or, not. injury or not. The X is their force plate measure that uh, you guys measure. And then the question is, can you, you know, this is what we do in a business school, advertising affects sales. Great. But if I can't manipulate advertising, that's nice to know, but <laughs> right. I can't use it. So how do you guys think about if someone has a certain value of X, how you what kind of strengthening programs or what are the treatments that one can do to improve and X? and i mean maybe it's obvious but can you speak to does an increase if you can change x does that demonstrably change you know the probability of injury the y variable as well right right yeah i think um you know our first major league baseball client um, one of the uh trainers had asked 
you know, well, we really need to be looking at arm lengths and leg lengths. Um, so talking to your initial question of, you know, can we really affect that change? As far as I know, um, with adult, you know, aged males, changing arm lengths and leg lengths is probably not going to happen. And so focusing on, you know, those segment lengths, right, is it, really just a distraction, mm-hmm. right? And so how do we focus on the variables that are going to really cause change? And I think that the field that needs to be integrated the most into uh, sports science is pharmacokinetics. You know, how do the drugs affect each individual in a different way? Mm. Because really, if you look at exercise like a drug, what we've seen is a very different dose response curve right. for every individual, you know, based on age, ethnicity, injury history, sport, right? all these different variables in the same way that pharmacy looks at drug response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talk to people using sports science technology around the world, and this is one of the themes that has emerged is the importance of considering the heterogeneity in the population and tailoring programs mm-hmm. to that heterogeneity. Phil, we're down to just about a minute with you. Can you tell us what the frontier is for you right now? What is hard? What are you pushing on? Where are you going to see advances in your work over the next whatever couple of years? Yeah, I think where we're really pushing on is this area we've, we've just started addressing, which is the um, dose response. You know, I think we've really ensured that the diagnostic is reliable. And, and really, like an MRI, you know, the diagnostic capabilities are um, somewhat limited um, as opposed to how do we affect uh, outcomes. And that's an endless pursuit right? Um, because we want to continue to get more specific. You know, the Colorado Rockies, for example, can address Dominican pitchers' risk very differently than Caucasians. Right. And so how do we separate the decision tree into smaller and smaller branches to be more accurate and more effective? Got it. Very interesting. Phil, listen, very much appreciate your taking the time to be with us this morning, um, and good luck with the work that you're doing. We're always interested to hear about it. Thanks for having me on, guys. You bet. That was Phil Wagner, CEO and founder of Sparta Science. Sparta Science is using force plate technology to assess athletic performance and develop those athletes. That has been two quarters, the first half of Wharton Moneyball. We still have a second half to go. Come back and join us after the break. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 